0: You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. This is podcast number one of the CALC series, From Molecule to Patient, the statistician's role in developing new medicines. In this episode, Amanda, Jess, and myself speak about what is going on in drug development. We really start from very, very early in the drug development process, give you an introduction into what's happening there, what are the different phases of drug development, and what's happening in that, so that you get a good overall understanding of what's going on there, and where statisticians actually play a role. I think there's usually a little bit of a dichotomy of statisticians. Certain statisticians prefer certain areas and others prefer other areas. And you, it would be good if in your first job you end up in the area that you actually like. And there's no kind of good or bad about it. It's just that you may like one much more than the other. And so. Um, It's really nice that we have a variety of people here, so Jess and Amanda are joining me on on this call today and um, maybe you can first introduce yourself a little bit, Jess.
1: Yes, so um, I'm Jess Kendall and I work at Leeds CTIU as a medical statistician and I work in early phase cancer trials in particular. Okay, and Amanda?
2: Hi, um, I'm Amanda Darica. I work at Pfizer, so a pharmaceutical company, and I'm currently working on later phase um Internal medicine is our business unit, but it's, it's working on sort of um, later phase trials within uh, CV and metabolic diseases.
0: So later phase, that means phase two, phase three? Phase two? yeah. Okay, yeah. And I'm actually working beyond that. So so once the drug is improved, there's a further life cycle of that. So I'm working in the area where, um, when the drug is approved by email or FDA, um, to help it get reimbursed, to help mm-hmm. it uh, get to the patients. Actually, that um, physicians and patients understand the benefits of this new drug, and that's the area where I am working. But we'll now dive into actually these different areas, and it's so good that just us three we cover <laughs> yeah. lots of lots the of different spectrum. things. Of that, mm-hmm. and um, we can work through the complete process Mm -hmm. of how a drug gets to the market and Mm -hmm. that can actually take quite some time so depending on where you start you can say it takes about 12 years until you from the patent filing to that the first commercial uh, patients get it so not, not study patients get it and the cost involved in that is huge. So there's right. lots of different numbers around it and mm-hmm. also it's disease specific. Yeah. But you can say that um, 800 to uh. $1.5 billion yeah. Dollars yeah. or something like this is yeah. probably a good number to mm-hmm. kind of think about. And of course lots of these drugs fail yeah. along the line. So, so if I think I once saw kind of a, a big bag of white um, white tennis balls mm-hmm. in it, there's t- 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 table tennis balls in it, and there was one red one in it. Mm-hmm. And that showed that there were 10,000 table tennis balls in it, and yeah. this is one red one. And yeah. one red one is the one that actually gets yeah. to real patients. Yeah. And so there's a huge attrition mm-hmm. over over the development process, and that's well, what we will talk about today. Okay, with that, uh, maybe we start actually at the at the very much at the beginning. So, um, just what's your kind of day-to-day work and, and working in the in the early phase?
1: Yes, so um, I work on, as I mentioned, I work on early phase trials in uh, cancer, Um, so I work on phase one and early phase two trials. So with these um, cancer treatments they tend to be quite cytotoxic, so in our phase one trials rather than the usual phase one trials that are in first in human tests, we will use um, patients who've typically exhausted all other options on standard of care on the NHS for example. Um, and we'll be mainly looking at the safety of the drug, so it'll be looking at identifying the recommended dose, so the safest dose that, is, um, that provides an efficacious outcome for these patients. Um, provided we actually find what the safest dose is, we move on to phase two. So this is where we're testing the ideas on a much, on a small phase, so we're looking at early evidence of efficacy here.
0: Okay, but when you actually start with your first um Study in humans. You already have some data on the molecule, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, phase one is it's typically building on preclinical work, or a lot of the drugs that um, my trials in particular are are actually on the NHS, but used in a different disease area. So it's just repurposing the drugs um, for the new disease area that we're looking at. So this new particular type of cancer, for example. So we do have a lot of data usually from elsewhere. We've normally got some evidence that it would work in this area that we're looking at now
0: yep. as well. If you have a drug that has never been used in humans before, mm-hmm. what what kind of typical data be available then before the first?
1: So in terms, terms of uh, preclinical work, yeah. um, that's working on stuff that they have from the lab. Um, and my area of expertise, I'm, I'm not sure from what sort of data they would use from that, but my understanding is it might involve work on animals, for example, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, using scientific models around the data that they've got from there. Um,
0: yeah. 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 So you have usually some animal models or
2: yeah. in in vitro models. In vitro or in, yeah. in vivo. So in vitro is when it's in a in a sort of a test tube, it's a sort of a lab based model. Mm-hmm. In vivo is when it's more animals or human cells even, they might test a new a new chemical entity on, just to see whether it's it's having some reaction and it's hitting a particular target that you might want it to hit or, you know, it's having some effect that you then may want to develop further.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, in these preclinical roles, there's actually also statisticians. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't have a representative right. for that today, <laughs> but maybe that comes in a later episode that, that we will talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about what uh, the role of preclinical statistics is. Mm-hmm. but today we will talk really mostly about the, the clinical part. So, so that starts with phase one, mm-hmm. phase two, phase three, and then phase four yeah. and So, in terms of your Phase 1 experience, um, what's the role of the statistician in that that area?
1: So, in Phase 1, the role of the statistician is quite heavy. Um, So, um, as a clinical trials um, statistician, we're involved in every aspect of the trial, regardless of what phase you work on, all the way from applying for funding, through to actually designing the study, opening the study and analysing the results and publicising them at the very end. But as a phase one statistician, whilst the tri- um, there is quite a lot of work into designing the study. So you might have phase one trials where, as I mentioned, you are looking to find the safest dose. So you have different doses that patients would um, be looking to receive. So there's different designs available for that. And some of them have some quite statistical models behind them. So in advance of applying for funding, we would have to do quite a lot of simulation work to find out what sample size we would be looking at to mm-hmm. look with these patients, how many patients we would need per cohort for each of the dose levels and stuff like that. Once the trial is actually open, we have to do a lot of safety reporting. So This is checking on the few patients who are receiving treatment on a very regular basis. So.
0: You basically monitor more or less each patient mm. isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah, exactly. So every four to six weeks we're usually producing safety reports um, and they go out to an external committee who will attend the meeting as well and explain what these mean and we'll talk through each individual patient's results um, from a safety point of view. We'll also take into consideration what treatment they've received and if they've had any um, dose modifications made or if they've missed any doses for any reasons at all, and um, so that can be taken into consideration as well. And um, so the stats role in early phase is quite big.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you, it's what's really specific is you look into lots of individual patient mm-hmm. safety is is a really big topic there, and safety means. Lots of different adverse events that you look into, lots of lab values that you look into on uh, over a continuous uh, point of time. Um, but there's also probably lots of uh, pharmacokinetics and dynamics involved, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Um, so on my studies, um, we've been looking into um, it is the adverse events, as you said. Um, that's what. Um, the independent committee has been most interested in the looking to see if there is certain toxicities that patients are regularly um, having, um, because the side effects of these drugs in this population aren't necessarily known. Um, so that's something they're very keen to look at.
0: Yeah, anything that is unexpected yeah. that would be a red flag. What's the kind of attrition of drugs in your area?
1: Um, I'm not sure in terms of percentages, um, but I do know from literature when I've um, been doing research in the past that um, due to, so there's, the attrition rates in cancer, it tends to be a lot more later down the line, so they tend to make it through phases one and two, and it's by the time it gets to phases three, they actually identify this isn't what we need. So it's actually making their way through, quite often, to the more expensive phases of testing. So over the last, I'm not sure, maybe decade or so, there's been a lot more money thrown into phase one and two designs to try and make them more efficient. Because you've got such small sample sizes, you don't know if what you're seeing is just by chance. I think
0: in terms of the attrition, that means there can be quite a lot of attrition. And I know a couple of people that worked for Decades in this area. I just Mm -hmm. had a um, dinner yesterday with someone that is working for decades in that area, and he mentioned that none of his compounds has actually made it to Mm -hmm. market. So he said, a couple of, he he hopes that one of the compounds that he worked in the last five years has now some promise, but you can easily spend your career, yeah. your life career in this area, and never Definitely. get one yeah. to market. Yeah. But you always learn from these failures. I think that is an important thing. And of course, it also means you want to fail the ineffective things or okay. those that mm-hmm. are, are harmful. You want to fail them fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so, so it's really um, testing these drugs for, for these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, how does your day-to-day actually, activities look like? Do you, have, do, you, have, do, you do a lot of programming?
1: Um, I do occasionally. Um, my day-to-day tends to vary quite a lot. Um, I work on a handful of trials as the statistician. Yeah, it, it, I guess it just depends with what's going on with them at the at the moment. So some of the trials are open to recruitment and we've got patients in so that is regular programming for the safety reports. Um, and we also have our regulatory reports that come around every year as well that we have to submit to the MHRA, Medical Health Research Association. Um, But then one of my trials at the moment is in, we're currently setting it up. So at the moment we're developing the database, Um, so that's where we're going to be storing all the data that we're going to be collecting from all these patients, which takes quite a lot of time, Um, it's a lot of back and forth, going between myself the data managers, the trial managers, the clinician as well, who heads up the trial, um, to make sure that we're collecting the data we need to answer the end points, the important questions, but also to make sure that we're not collecting too much data, um, otherwise it's a lot of work for the hospitals and sites involved.
0: Okay, okay. So let's move from the phase one where we really look into the uh, safety, a lot kind of maybe first hints of efficacy mm-hmm. um, into the phase two area. Mm. So Amanda, mm-hmm. why do we have this phase two?
2: So um, certainly within the areas I work in, um, phase two tends to be when we really start to test out our new compounds in, in a larger group of patients. Not, not a huge study, but you really want to try and see whether the the drug is working as it should do and what you expect to then see once you actually get it out onto the market um, into sort of more a uh, wider patient population. So phase two often is called proof of concept. So you're really trying to to understand whether the mechanism of action for your new compound is is working as it should be. Um, How much efficacy are you likely to see? You might start off just by testing one dose versus placebo, just to get that initial proof of concept result. Um, But then you may then, well, you would then have to move on to what we call dose ranging studies. So where you look at a whole range of doses. And really, you really want to then test, well, what's the maximum dose you can go to, both from an efficacy perspective, see whether the drug works at that dose, but also more importantly, or just as importantly, from a safety perspective. So you don't want to give a, a medicine to someone that works really well but has horrendous side effects. You need to get that balance. So it's, it's looking at the whole range of doses to look at whether um, a new drug will have both the efficacy you want as well as the safety that you want. to to then sort of see in a a bigger population. Yeah, that
0: is where the benefit-risk profile comes in. So that is kind of, I think, a word that is coming up always yes. benefit yeah. risk profile yeah. or benefit risk yeah. ratio yeah.
2: and you want to know that before you then start to test the, the, the new drug in a, a, a much bigger population so before you get to phase three which we'll, we'll get on to yeah. but yeah so phase two is really about learning about your new medicine so which doses are, are working which doses are safe where which population you might want to test in eventually in phase three um, are there any particular side effects you need to be looking at um, and and it's really just trying to make sure you you gather as much information as you can about a new medicine before you then take it into a much bigger population.
0: I think phase two is really kind of the end of phase two is a really important readout because that is a decision whether you do the major investment in phase three. uh, Because everything up to then is I would say relatively small, small. Yeah. relatively cheap, yeah. but Phase 3 is really the is that big When commitment. you really expand, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so in, through Phase 1 and Phase 2 you need to collect enough data that you can make the commitment, mm-hmm. but also you want to be... As fast as possible because yeah. speed is always really, really important.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. M- making sure you're efficient with your decision making, and actually, that's where statisticians come in a lot with those early phase decisions is making sure that you collect enough data so you can make a good robust decision early on but not so much that your trials go on forever and ever that you know that you'll never get there quick enough so so it's, it's important for statisticians to be involved certainly in the planning of phase two studies and even earlier than that to make sure that that we are being efficient with the data we're collecting how many patients me what we might want to test our, our drugs on um, and even which doses we might want to look at you know there's a whole range of different I guess quantitative areas where statisticians need to be involved in those sort of early phases with decision-making.
0: Yeah and then you have this huge moment where the CEO usually mm. actually says okay we do mm-hmm. this investment usually that was really easy the, the top-level guys that makes the commitment because yeah. then it's about yeah hundreds of millions of, of dollars or euros okay. that are spent, yeah. and uh, that's the executive committee that makes this mm-hmm. decision usually, so the so CEO yeah. and all the people that report him to him, yeah. the scientists, and the, um, yeah everybody basically is yeah. at, at that level. And so the, um, when we go into that area, what happens there?
2: So once we've decided to commit to phase three, so um, phase three is really, that's when, when this is where the money gets spent with the drug development. So that's where you really need to be able to test your your new drug and um, the new drug and the doses that you want to eventually market the drug at um, in a wide range of patients. So the, the trials are usually thousands of patients. Um, that you're testing the, the drug on, and it's usually multinational, hundreds of centres and sites and hospitals across the world that will be testing out these um, these new drugs. So, so really, that's where you need to be making sure you're looking at the right population um, that you're going to eventually market the drug to, um, and where you think it's going to going to work best, um, the right dose, um, and and just making sure that you're you're looking at all of those different. Um, possible interactions that the drug might have with, with other drugs, so you might run different trials to make sure that a drug works in different of, um, patient populations.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I think there's also lots of um uh, pharmacokinetic and yeah. genomic studies that yeah. come but, as additional, and things. they would yeah, yeah,
2: and and even though sometimes you think of those as being early phase studies, quite often we'll run those in parallel with phase three to make sure mm-hmm. that actually that we're we're still sort of making sure that the drug is working as it should do, even with other different compounds as well.
0: Yeah, especially if you know that say it's a drug drug potential drug drug interaction exactly. because they are metabolized over the same pathway, mm-hmm. then yeah. that these kind of things you need yeah. to send one there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that is how you start Phase 3. Mm-hmm. And then you have the big moment when you have the Phase 3 readout. Yeah. And um, I've been yeah. in that place where yeah. I was the first one to see actually the results of a Phase 3 study.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And it was negative. Oh, God and there was no whatsoever and then we saw oh, there was a mistake in it it was actually not the right randomization code
2: oh my God. <laughs> we oh, goodness! we
0: fixed that and then Result, really, oh, no. really nice result, no, the, the, the real results. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's a really really yeah. um, uh, awesome moment that's if a big you have moment. a phase three yeah. readout. I think actually for any, any study, having that readout yeah, is an as, amazing moment. As, yeah. as
2: statisticians, we're always involved at, at that point. We are the first to know the results of any trials, and so and I think that's one of the most exciting things that we do um, as our job is just having having the data in our hands and being able to sort of you know. Present that to the rest of the team, so even before any of the clinicians or anyone else within the company knows, you're the first one to actually sort of have those results in your hands. So that is exciting.
0: Yes, that's quite exciting. Yeah. You feel kind of very, very privileged. Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
2: <laughs> definitely.
0: Um, okay, and then these results. What then happens with these phase three results?
2: So, um, so it's part of. Um, what we would call a submission so then once all the phase 3 trials have been run we would then need to submit that data to um, regulatory authorities across the world so in Europe it would be the EMA the US, it's the FDA, but then there'll also be lots of other submissions um, all over the world, depending on where you want to actually try and market your your new medicine. So so as part of that submission, you then have to report all of your results, you have to put them into a clinical study report, they have to be analysed and um, programmed up, so you know, statisticians are involved in all of those stages of actually reporting out the results, Um, and putting together that submission as well, and being able to understand and interpret what's going on. Um, and you might have results from individual studies, but then you also may pull different studies. So you might have a combined analysis um, and have what we would call an integrated analysis that you would then also need to, to be involved in as well. So it's, again, just making sure we're learning and confirming at phase three the results from, from all of the trials and then being able to present those to the regulators so then they can be in a position to approve our, our new medicines.
0: Yeah. and so. This- Submission process can take quite some time, yeah. so from the let's say, last data readout of the last phase three studies that you need for submission, mm-hmm. up to the submission, what do you think is it can approximately anything, the time? Anything so
2: between six months to a year, I think, yeah. and, and quite often trials will be run, reading out sort of on an ongoing basis. So, you know, you may be involved in an early trial that reads out, but then all the others will follow through and then the very last one is that critical one that needs to to be reported and be finished in order to to, to finalize the submission so um yeah. so yeah it's it's an ongoing process and it takes quite a while
0: and then you submit and then you get questions, questions back yes. from the regulators exactly. and then, then you and need to follow up on these yeah things,
2: and you yeah. you generally are up against the, a real sort of time time deadline for that you normally get a very limited amount of time to reply to those questions. You might have a, what we'd call a a rapid response team to respond to the regulatory questions and it may be something that you've never even thought about so you have to do new analyses or you might have to, to revisit some of the analyses you've already done and it's, again, it's quite pressured. But again, quite, it's I think the thing I enjoy about that is that you try to put forward an argument for why the results show what you you're saying that they, sh- they show. Um, you're almost acting like a bit of a I think a bit of a lawyer really, trying to sort of put across your, your point of view, but using the data that you have and the analyses that you've done to be able to to sort of back all of that up. So it's yeah, I quite, I quite like doing that, okay. even though you're under pressure really. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: that's a lot. There's a lot of pressure involved, and I think probably one of the most pressure moment is any public hearing, isn't yes.
2: it? Yeah, and I personally, I haven't been involved in, in one of those, but yeah, I, I, I've i seen other ones and it again, it's, it's just being able to pull out the results that you need to be able to put across a point that a question you may have been asked by the regulators. And again, the statistician is at the forefront of that. They're the ones that know the data inside out. They know the, the analyses that have been done, what tables will answer a particular question. And you need to be able to have all of that information at your fingertips to be able to answer those questions.
0: Yeah. And then, hopefully, mm-hmm. you'll get this approval letter from the FDA, from EMA, email, mm-hmm. and, and then you can start to, to market your product. Yeah. And that's actually where where well, my area comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, also my work actually starts earlier, mm-hmm. my kind of, um, you would prepare for phase three already while the phase two is running. Yeah. Um, th- uh, the launch of a new drug is uh, worked on about two to three years before yeah. actually yeah. the first drug um, becomes commercially available mm-hmm. uh, because then you have in most of the countries you have an additional step that you need to go through. So, for example, in the UK, you need to uh, submit to Nice, mm-hmm. which um, makes sure that the drug is also cost-effective and, yeah, and okay. looks into these kind of things. Yeah. So it's really negotiations <laughs> with uh, what generally is called payers, yeah. and these are in most countries these are government-biased parties mm-hmm. uh, or associated with the government. In the US, these are very often big insurance companies or um, so-called PBMs um, where you make, want to make sure that your drug is actually reimbursed by the, by the insurance and that can be private insurance especially in the US or yeah. Medicare and Medicaid there and in uh, other parts of the world mm-hmm. it's, um, it's government bodies. And then of course, you also need to make sure that the physician that prescribes the drug and the patients uh, actually understand the value of the drug, so that's where also statisticians can play a big role yeah. in communicating effectively the uh, the value of the product mm-hmm. and how it separates from other mm-hmm. other um, drugs. I think that is one of the Primary em- emphasis later on, yeah. whereas earlier it's a lot of placebo comparisons and things like that. Mm. In that area, you yeah, have shown that you're, you know, have a good benefit risk profile versus placebo, but placebo is never prescribed in mm. practice, or nearly never. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really now much more the question how do does your drug compare to standard of care, Mm -hmm. to other similar compounds that are prescribed for the same medication. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it goes on for quite some time. There might be re-reviews from uh, payers, there might be new drugs entering the market and and you need to react to that. And um, there's lots of publication work in there. I was going to say,
2: publications are a big part of that as well. Yeah, publications,
0: so it's, it's really a lot about Communication. Sometimes mm-hmm. also new studies are run. Then also more kind of what we call real-world evidence comes into yeah. play. So observational studies, large observational studies, mm-hmm. or database analysis of uh, claims databases. So yeah. um, where insurance company companies kind of collect data to uh, basically you know just manage all their finances. Uh, with the individual patients, um, that data can also be used to uh, understand better how the drugs are treated, what is, uh, are used, how their compliance is, mm. how their retention is yeah. or kind of yeah. let's say real world what patients. happens yeah. when,
2: it, when the medicine's actually been taken by real patients yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 so th- that way we basically went through the com- complete process mm-hmm. once um, yeah. but. One thing that I want to now emphasize is a little bit the timing aspect of that Mm. because actually it's it's a marathon set but it's a high-speed marathon. It says always in all processes there's a lot of um, pressure on on timing and very often uh, statisticians are asked to accelerate things. So I think that's probably one of the most Mm -hmm. common questions Can we do it faster? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so in drug discovery, you want to be faster than others to kind of um, have potential targets identified and things like that. So so that you have some preclinical candidates. Then you want to be there really fast with with getting first things into into phase one. Mm. And. In phase one, I think you want to be really fast to get into phase two, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, of course. I think that's really important, where um, the feasibility of site assessments come in. So, um, in the cancer trials that we're looking at, we are the phase one studies are they only require small amounts of patients. So we do only need a handful of sites, maybe like five, six, seven sites or so, something like that. Um, But it's really key that um, you choose sites that are actually going to get participants that fulfill the eligibility criteria and that they're actually going to be able to recruit them to the trial Mm -hmm. quickly as well. Um, So the feasibility assessments at the beginning, before we decide which sites we're going to choose for the study, is really important for the phase one to help speed it up, because recruitment can be a big slowdown in the phase one. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that depends very much on the indication. In cancer, of course, you have lots of rare diseases, but Mm -hmm. if you think about diseases like diabetes or Mm -hmm. uh, COPD or uh, lots of these other kind of widespread diseases. Mm -hmm. You you sometimes have just a specialized center that um, gets these patients all in more or less at once and then all eight patients go through the court. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And particularly if they're healthy volunteer early phase studies, yeah. then yeah, you literally just get a, a sort of a twelve patients in at a time, yeah, test them and they go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: Twelve healthy volunteers sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 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 healthy yeah. volunteers, yeah. 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 Or if yeah. you have patients then and, and you have a big pool of patients and then mm. you can go quite quite fast. Yeah. yeah. And then it's um the that's really speed is really important mm. uh, and um, that is throughout the process because yeah. then once you have the phase three one results you want to go fast into phase, phase two. two yeah what's the and feeling I, there
2: and I, and I think one of the again the key areas where statisticians are involved in the efficiency of clinical trials is is really the numbers of patients that need to be studied so you know one of the key things that Um, adds to both the time and the cost of a clinical trial is the, the, the patients, the number of patients. So as statisticians, when we're involved in sample sizing, we need to look at ways we can minimise the sample size so that we can still get the results. You know, If we need to show a statistically significant result, we can still show that, but with, with the, the fewest patients possible. Um, and quite often for phase two, you're not even looking at showing a statistically significant result. We won't go into the technical details, but you might just want to be able to characterise the dose response. So there you're looking at a slightly different methodology where you're looking at maybe dose response modelling and you can use fewer subjects. And maybe if you were looking at hypothesis testing. So there's ways that statisticians can use their influence and their statistical methodology skills to help minimise those numbers of patients, particularly for phase two, where, where you have a little bit more um, leeway in terms of how, how you might design a study yeah. um, and so that's, that's really I think where we can help bring trials in faster and make sure they're as efficient as possible. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think that's where also a lot of statistical innovation comes in, exactly. so, so yeah. that's where you can make a huge difference if yes. you're up to speed with the latest uh, things and um, yeah. can, can
1: yeah. really help. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's okay. Um so what I was gonna to add to that as well is another way in phase two that we can and I guess it works in phase three as well, that we can as a statistician can be involved to help speed things up is making sure we identify the right endpoint to look at. Yeah. So in cancer, in phase three, for example, you might be looking at overall survival as your endpoint, which is gonna be have a very, very long follow up period. So you're not gonna get the answers for a long time mm-hmm. in that. But you could, in phase two, you could use a surrogate marker for that. So you might use something like progression-free survival at six months. So you only have to follow up patients for six months after treatment. Yeah. Um, so that brings yeah. the endpoints a lot closer. Exactly. Um, so you can see the results a lot quicker yeah. that way. Yeah. And I
2: think, you know, there's a lot of other disease areas where we're, we're trying to now look at biomarkers yeah. and surrogate markers to then sort of use those instead of maybe a much longer-term endpoint that That's will, as you, say, as you say, take a long, a long time. Or you can do interim analyses, which is, again, another area where statisticians would get involved in planning those. And, I guess, importantly, planning the decision criteria for those to make sure that you can make those decisions as early on as possible. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So, uh, with that, I think we covered a lot kind of where we are in in the process. And we covered a lot in terms of what happens in uh, early phase preclinical uh, what happens in phase one, where you want to see uh, whether the drug is safe, especially um, in where you, in non-oncology indications you have uh, healthy volunteer studies, and in oncology you have very often very very sick patients. Uh, then you go into phase two, where you uh, better understand mm-hmm. the dose response relationship and to make a good selection for the phase three where then the pressure is really high to get everything in time for the regulators. Afterwards you have then the phase four area where you have the um, HDA processes and the commercialization of the drug. So thanks so much for this really nice interview. Cheers Amanda. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the first episode actually of the CULC season. Watch out for the next one, which will appear in about four weeks, on another Thursday. And up to then, just go on to the uh, statistician.com slash student area, and there you can um, sign up and subscribe to this episode series. You'll also get updates of lots of other things that are going on about the effective statistician and all these will help you to progress in your career. I'm pretty sure you'll get a lot out of it. If you have enjoyed this episode please tell your friends, your um, other students that we're working with about it and share it on social media so that we can get the word out and as many people as possible can actually benefit from this work. Thanks so much! And talk to you in four weeks or maybe next week when the next real episode or
2: formal episode of the Effective Statistician is coming out.